Hello, welcome to Good Job, where we interview inspiring people from the music industry. We follow their journey from their very worst job to present day and find out what makes them them. That roar was from comedian May Martin. Now, May is absolutely prolific with accolades across comedy genres, TV, improv, radio, a book, and musical comedy. The worst thing you can do with with addicts is what we do to them, which is put them in jail and punish them. And the best thing you can do is pull them closer and surround them with people. We chat about why honesty is important in comedy, her battle with addiction, how society perceives sex and gender, and what it was like to film her new hit TV show, Feel Good. So we start the podcast the same way for everyone. What was your very worst job in life? Okay, I'm going to go with, I worked the night shift at Amato's Pizza Place in Toronto. And so it was 6 p.m. until 4 a.m. And it was very hot. It was full of cockroaches and mice. And the people would come in after bars got out, wasted. And it was just, it was pretty hellish. And I had to take the um, hot pizzas out of the oven and I'd get burned. And then I had to take the garbage into the garbage room and for some reason there was no light bulb in there and there and so you'd go in and it was pitch black and you could hear all the mice scurrying out of the way and you'd have to throw the rubbish in the bin and then I'd get off at 4 a.m and be getting light out yeah that was bleak it sounds like a horror movie yeah Uh, (laughs) how old were you when you did this 16 Okay. Did you have plans? Because you were already doing comedy by then, actually, weren't you? Yeah, I was kicked out of my house and I was sleeping on the sofa of a much older comedian. And uh, I was sort of doing comedy, but I'd kind of stopped for a while. Could you have imagined your whole life journey to where you are now? Yeah, I think that was probably the only thing keeping me going was this deep secret belief that I could uh, do something one day. You know what I mean? So I never quite, although I had so much doubt about that, I think I must have on some level had at least some hope that kept me going, you know? Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of your journey into comedy. How did it start? To go really back, I think it's, I think Ace Ventura came out and it changed my life. I think I was (laughs) obsessed with Jim Carrey um, when I was about eight or nine. Um, But then my family took me to a stand-up comedy club when I was about 11 and the comedian got me up on stage and he made me sit on his lap and be like a ventriloquist dummy because I was this weird little uh, 11 year old in a waistcoat and um it was I just I was obsessed with it and I thought it was the coolest environment and that these people were you know gods and then um I just became obsessed with it I took an improv class and then I started performing when I was 13 doing stand-up and sketch comedy and then I never did uh anything else really and you did a bit of musical comedy. Tell yeah. us a bit about that and why you did musical comedy and why also you don't really do it that anymore, do you? Yeah, I don't do it anymore. I mean, maybe I secretly always wanted to be a musician. I think a lot of comedians do. And then I would write these, yeah, parody songs, often like changing the lyrics to existing songs. And um, yeah, I loved doing that for a long time. But then now, I, well, what happened was the the banter between the songs just got longer and longer until it was mostly banter and then Mm. I think I was it was sort of a crutch the guitar 
and uh when I got brave enough to kind of put it down and just be myself and 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 chat uh things started going much better do you think it's harder to I guess make it as a musical comedian I guess it's not as easy to like you can't do like a chat show just with a guitar yeah there's only there's a handful of people doing it who are really good at it but I think I was just better at stand-up and and I think it was kind of just a way to delay having to be super myself and honest. I mean, stand-up's terrifying. It's like the most terrifying idea to me. <laughs> and as someone who is a singer, singing is like, ah, oh, cool, I know how to do this. To yeah. just talk, I'm like, ah, no. I find the, yeah, the reverse. So I'm, the idea of what you do, being kind of earnest and expressing your emotions through song without irony, that is terrifying to me. That's so vulnerable. And at least with stand-up, I feel very in control. And maybe just because I've been doing it a long time, I feel in my element. Do you think that feeling comfortable in stand-up and me feeling comfortable in singing is just something that we have learned? Or do you think that's just our natural states? I think it's like everything, a combination of of nature and nurture. Because if you grow up in a house where where your parents really value music or comedy and my, my parents are really funny and they love comedy and so I was I was lucky so that was definitely a huge part of it so your tv show feel good has come out fairly recently it was really yeah. good. really enjoyed it um but it's semi-autobiographical and how was that what well, one why did you write something about your own life I think I'd, I'd pitched tons of ideas over the years and and um a lot of them had been really big genre things like science fiction things and and then ultimately even with stand-up as well I, I just slowly moved in a direction of being more specific and personal and honest and then that seemed to be what, what people were responding to and actually connecting with more like the more specific and personal I was and saying weird stuff that I thought no one would connect with people were like me too so I think that I did a stand-up show called dope that was about addiction and relationships and then um channel four approached me about turn turning that into something so then me and my co-writer joe just kind of built a world around that yeah and it was intense <laughs> yeah. yeah i can imagine especially putting that onto screen and acting for the first time how did you approach acting i cast amazing people around me um it was important to me that um whoever was going to play George my girlfriend in it was someone that I, I really found funny and had like a natural chemistry with and Charlotte was a friend of mine already so that was helpful because we already had like a rapport and really find each other funny so that was helpful and then I, I I just rehearsed a lot we had about three weeks of rehearsing we did a pilot actually that was really useful because it was I mean it wasn't bad but it it was an opportunity to find the characters and for me to get a bit of practice and then um once the show was commissioned that went in the bin and I don't know it was I kind of thought that acting was just about arranging your face in a certain way like I'm sad so I should make my face sad so I was obsessed with my face and then someone told me oh you just have to feel the feelings and then your face will naturally do what a normal person's face does when they f you know what I mean mm -hmm. so I, I think I had to sort of release ego a bit and vanity and just feel the feelings and trust that my face was doing the right thing I mean going into that a lot of the writing stems from like real life experiences so how was that going into those places through acting again 
if I'd known how it would feel, I might have written it differently. So I'm kind of glad I didn't know that it would be quite intense. And so writing it, I was like, yeah, fine. Yeah, I'll snort some coke and do this. And yeah, doing it was weird. I, I um, yeah, the drug stuff was really, was really depressing. <laughs> and, but the pace was so fast and I had such fun people around me and supportive people. And I got on so well with everyone. I had Joe, my co-writer, is my best friend. And I had Charlotte being amazing and uh, the director. So it was absolutely fine. I was so in intensely focused on trying to make something good that I didn't have much time to kind of like spiral into a well of despair, you know? You talk a lot about addiction within both your TV show and just your general, your general stand-up. Um, how much do you think other people who don't have a specific addiction how much do you think this applies to other people I think the more you start thinking about it and reading about it the more you'll notice it in your own life mm -hmm. maybe um I definitely think we have a kind of crazy phone problem people really casually say like oh I'm addicted to my phone it's like no I really like I, I spend two hours on my phone before bed lying in bed I wake up and go on it I, you know it, that's really crazy um yeah I think people feel it in varying degrees definitely I think people can relate to the relationships thing especially when you're young of being in a relationship that you know is not good and but you honestly think if I'm not in this relationship I, I'll die and your whole self-worth is about that person. I think a lot of people have had that experience. And I think that's a sort of form of it where you're chasing that high of how good it feels when you have that person's attention, you know? We were chatting about this before and I was thinking about um, all the things that like you could vaguely say or I could vaguely say that I'm addicted to. Anything from like coffee to work. <laughs> I yeah. love work and where that all stems from. Um, coffee feels like such a physical, just like... I want to get up in the morning and be awake. Um, yeah. But something like work for me is definitely like, I guess, an acceptance thing or like uh, I've grown up with such an idea that that's what makes you a good person if you're a hard worker. Yeah. Where do you think the general addiction stem from? There's habits and then there's addiction. I think mm. somewhere I read that the, the definition of addiction is if it's having a negative impact on your life, but you, but you keep doing it, you okay. can't stop yeah. doing it. So yeah and where does it come from I think different places I think it's again like so many things a combination of nature and nurture um there's I mean and there's so much to read about it but it's about dopamine mm -hmm. if you have a dopamine deficiency in your brain then when you do get a hit of dopamine from whatever it is like a a drink or a drug or even uh, the bright colors on your phone then you have fewer dopamine receptors in your brain. So it feels a lot more overwhelmingly positive and the withdrawal is a lot worse. So that is a chemical thing that some people have. And that can come from anything from early childhood um, to, you know, adolescent kind of experiences. You could get like the in the wild, they do tests on animals. It can come from like prolonged isolation. You can get a, a dopamine deficiency, lots of things. I think the cure is human connection. I think that's staying busy and, and human connection. I guess also that's what all of us crave at totally. the end of the day. Like that's, that's our biggest addiction if you want to be yeah. cheesy about it. <laughs> but everyone wants that if it's of love. Of course. Yeah. And it's the, the worst thing you can do with, with addicts is what we do to them, which is put them in jail and punish them. And the best thing you can do is 
you know, pull them closer and surround them with people. What do you hope that people take away from your TV show? I hope that it um, humanizes addiction a little bit. I think people often think about addicts as this group of people that are, you know, junkies and we can't really relate to them. But actually, addiction is an experience that a lot of people, I think, can relate to, not just substances, but that feeling of doing something compulsively, even though it's having a negative effect in your life. So relationships and TV and our phones and everyone, I think, can relate to that. So I hope that it makes us think about addiction a bit differently. And then, yeah, I just hope people are entertained by it. You know, <laughs> I feel like it covers so many societal, I guess, issues and taboos that people think are taboos. Um, but at the same time, it does feel kind of light. So it's you've struck a really good balance with that, which um, is entertaining. Thanks. Yeah, I, I wanted it to be really accessible. And uh, also people are funny in their lives. You know, you can be in the middle of a breakup and someone says something funny and you both laugh for a second. Like life is funny. So it, I didn't want to get bogged down and kind of heaviness I wanted the tone to really be a comedy drama do you think it's really important for entertainment to touch on wider issues there's nothing worse than something that is written for the purpose of getting a message across it it, it feels so heavy-handed and and a lot of the stuff that I grew up loving is just pure silliness you know I love French and Saunders and I remember when I was first coming to England Mighty Boosh was huge and there's so much space for that. And I, I just don't necessarily have that skill. I My thing that I do is that I'm super personal. But also, I, I definitely, I don't think the show would have worked if I was like, this is what I want to say about addiction or sexuality. It was more like, what are these characters feeling? And yeah. The quick fire rant. Tea or coffee? Tea. No, coffee. Coffee. Ah, music or lyrics? Uh, music. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Creativity or logic? Creativity. Plane or train? Plane. Beer or wine? Wine. Sweet treats or savory snacks? Savory snacks. Hundy pee. <laughs> City or countryside? City. Matching or odd socks? Odd. Guitar or piano? Guitar. Friday night in or Friday night out? Out. Modern or vintage? Vintage. Black and white or technicolor? Black and white. Moose or mouse? Moose. You have to say moose, don't you? Yeah. It would be a bit rude of you not to. My parents claim that they once drove under a moose. And me and my brother think this cannot be true. And we've Googled the largest ever recorded moose and the size of their car at the time. And they swear that this happened. And um, then yesterday I saw a video of a huge moose. So maybe it's possible. Wow. This is the part of the podcast where I give you a fun fact about our guests. May started comedy when she was only 13 years old. She then trained for four years in sketch comedy and improvisation at the Toronto outpost of the internationally acclaimed institution, The Second City. The Second City was formed in 1882 in Chicago, but then went on to have three touring companies and, of course, opening a theatre in Toronto. By the mid-1970s, both the Chicago and the Toronto venues became a source of cast members for Saturday Night Live, and it boasts quite a few notable alumni, including Mike Myers, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, to name a few. 
So you also wrote a book, which is really cool. Can everyone please calm down and guide to 21st century sexuality? It's a big, long title. Why did you choose that title? Just because I felt like it's all the conversations about sexuality and gender right now in the media are so uh, politicized and kind of explosive and stressful. And um, actually what we're talking about is love and sex and that stuff is supposed to be fun and I just was thinking about young kids the book's aimed at teenagers and I was thinking how stressful it would be if you were you know having feelings for someone you're in your teens and then you turn on the news and people are having these insane debates about about trans rights and stuff so I just thought let's take the attention away from the pedantic focus on labels and words and let's just talk about the very human and universal experience of being attracted to different things and you know it's not a book just for lgbt people it's uh everybody has a sexuality right straight people have very varied and complex things that they're attracted to and it's it's just the same for everyone i think our listeners um come from all around the world all different genders all different backgrounds and ages and some of those listeners have um, a more traditional view on sexuality and gender and things like that. How would you explain your book to someone who has a more traditional view? Well, it's funny the word traditional because that kind of, I think we sometimes think that this new kind of fluidity around sexuality and, and gender and stuff is this is a recent thing and it's a millennial kind of thing. But actually, if you look at human history, as far back as there's been human civilization, there's been variances in sexuality and, and gender. There's, you know, different cultures that recognize multiple genders or have bisexual gods and things. And it's actually quite a recent thing that we've had this very binary view of, you know, people are gay or straight. And that's maybe just a blip. And <laughs> maybe we should get back to the more the more traditional view which is that things are a little more fluid but also i would if okay if people are freaking out about it and they're listening to this being like i hate you i would say just don't stress nobody's trying to force you to do anything everybody just wants to have a nice time and be in love and fulfill their potential on the planet as a loving and happy human being yeah for sure how much do you think in recent years, the public perception on sexuality has changed. I think it's always getting better, but then it, it can very quickly slip backwards as well. So I think it's important to be vigilant. And I think um, sometimes there's a perception because of the disproportionate amount of media coverage it gets that, um, you know, that battle has been won and everybody could should, you know, stop whining about it now but just because there's we have gay marriage it doesn't mean that there's not like certain intersections in the city where I'd be scared to go you know we have a kind of a long way to go it's still illegal in so many countries and the death penalty in lots of countries so it's still kind of a pressing human rights crisis so you know have a little patience for the um the visibility of it now and the and the ubiquitousness that you might perceive because it's it's actually just the very upper crust and underneath there's still a lot of progress to be made. It's really interesting because if, as humans, I think we completely like box ourselves in all the time to anything, whether, whether, and 
it's like so tribal and how we yeah. are all the time with everything even if it's music being like this is my favorite band and every other band's rubbish <laughs> yeah yeah um and <laughs> everyone's like that with everything and i think we just need to like chill out about totally. everything literally everything we can just be like you know what doesn't matter you do you i do me whatever i think you're right it's a people want to be part of a tribe and they want to feel safe in there but and and i even see that in in the gay community a, a lot like um a lot of biphobia like i i'm i'm bi or or whatever if i had to put a label on it like i date men and women and i've i've been booed off stage at pride festivals not booed off stage but been booed for talking about dating boys by by people who think because i have short hair i should be gay like you know what i mean everyone needs to chill yeah <laughs> i think that's like a lesson for life just yeah. chill out chill sure do you ever doubt your direction or yourself with your comedy yeah all the time totally yeah i, I worry that i'm gonna wake up one day and have have nothing more to say uh or not be able to write anything new but i i i think now it's become enough of a a muscle that is pretty active so i think um i think it's okay i mean definitely with stand-up i now for the first time maybe it's taken like 20 years to get to this point but i feel like confident that if i i, I can go on stage and be at home there you know you do quite a lot of improv type things as well yeah, for stand up exactly so you must feel like that's a good feeling. I love improvising and and talking to the audience and stuff. And then so then you feel like if you've got that muscle honed, and it's so fun. It's it's so fun. I've loved doing that. That's only been the past few years doing an hour of improvised stand up based on audience questions, and that's maybe the most fun I've had on stage. Mm, so interesting to me. That sounds the most terrifying. <laughs> I because I, it's nice to have that element of control. Actually, weirdly though, going back to music, if I get to improvise a song. And someone's just playing and I get to sing along. I'm like, oh, this is great fun. So I guess I kind of get that. There you go. Um, yeah, it taps into some level of instinct or intuition and it's fun and, and makes you present. Well, that's a good thing always. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, literally anything in the world, what would it be? I dwell on the past a lot or I worry about the future and I would love to have like a switch that I can it's it's voluntary like I can I only have to switch it when I want to switch it but it just blocks out the past and the future so I'm just in the present moment mm -hmm. that would be amazing because you could always switch it off and have a nice wallow in the past or <laughs> process <laughs> stuff and worry about but to be able to be like I'm going to this dinner party or something or I'm going to this thing and I just want to be present yeah that would be amazing yeah so do you feel like you're successful in what you've done no well I feel really proud of feel good and I'm I'm pretty self-critical and I, I I'm proud to have done it and uh so grateful but um in general in life there's so much further I want to go but then also on a personal level like I I have been zooming a lot of my friends and you know a lot of my friends have little babies and wives and husbands and uh in that area I'm very bereft at the moment I think I'm feeling that in lockdown anyway I'm sure a lot of people are where I'm like yeah cool I'm getting these Instagram followers but where's my uh, toddler that loves only me you know is that when you'll feel like you're successful I think so I think I think probably but then they say you're not supposed to obsess over it or focus on it because like it's when you stop worrying about it then it then it comes also I've been I've made a choice like years ago to to really 
pour myself into work. So I'm sure I, you know, had blinders on. But then a lot of people from the outside will be like, this is like super successful person. Yeah, totally. And I'm very grateful and, and lucky. Yeah. And the past couple of years have been insane. It's so interesting because we just all have our own. I feel like we move our own goalposts. We yeah. kind of all the time, constantly. And we're like, oh, that I'll be happy and I'll be successful at this point. And then even if you get that thing, you're like, uh-uh, I'm not successful. I need to get that thing. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I think I definitely thought for, for my whole life, oh, if I get this one thing, then I'll, f- I, I just, I now know for sure that um, career success is not necessarily connected to happiness, right? It's, mm. it feels good, but it's, um, yeah, it's about the, the work you're doing outside of that that makes you happy. It's something that I've definitely found in my life because as a um, as a hard worker person, it just you can put everything into your work and then you get to a point and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. this does not, I don't know, I'm not any happier than I was before. Yeah, I seem to have, as I say, like more followers on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and that is what I thought would bring me happiness. And it's been something throughout the last couple of years where uh, the thing some of the things that I've wanted has have happened that I've been like oh I don't know it doesn't make sense to my brain to begin with but now I'm starting to be like uh right like meditation that's making me more happy than yeah. what the things that I originally thought would make me happy so what has been your biggest challenge in your career or your life getting off hard drugs was really really hard that was hard I'm glad to have done that and then a sort of similar feeling is a relationship or two where I, I just I, there have been moments in my life where I've thought I, I will never be out of this situation. I'm, I'm, I'll never feel OK without or like, and, you know, unless I figure this out, I'll never be OK. Like really given up my whole identity to drugs or really bad relationships. And I think I'm at a place now where I wouldn't let that happen again, ever ever so I think that's been the biggest challenge because I think that's partly about just chasing the intensity of emotion which can feel exciting and I think I've moved past that so yeah what is with your comedy your ultimate direction where do you want to go you've done so many different things with your work um I'd love to do more feel good and I'd love to do I have a couple other secret things in development. I'd love to do a movie. I would like to, because I'd never acted and now I have. I'm, I'm like, I, I really enjoyed that. So I, I kind of want to play uh, a superhero. A superhero. <laughs> I don't know. I want to play I like that. Bat, bat person, you know, and I'm, I, I could get really into it, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm being crazy, but I wouldn't mind playing a, a very, a character that's very separate to myself and very different. I think that would be really refreshing. Yeah. What would be your superpower? I mean, I literally want to be Batman. So just, uh, just, just having like, a wicked voice, having a wicked voice and a lot of gadgets. <laughs> yeah. So you have had quite a cool journey. Do you think that's, do you believe in fate? Do you think fate is a thing or do you think it's just the way it's happened and your hard work? Uh, in terms of work, I think it would be naive not to acknowledge that like privilege basically is fate like that I'm so lucky to have been born like middle class white like I, I got a big head start uh and to have parents that valued education and you know pushed me and I feel like that's a huge thing privilege 
and then on top of that hard work is is key so yeah I mean in terms of like love and stuff I try to believe in fate but in terms of career I think that's just like capitalism and privilege isn't it final one do you have any advice for people who want to enter the entertainment industry what should they do I think the first thing is finding people to collaborate with who you are on the same wavelength as and who you really get on with like the people who I met early on and those relationships that I maintained are now the people that I'm working with like um the director of our show is someone I met when I was 20 and I'm really glad that we kind of came up together and yeah uh so yeah collaboration I think is key and then I think there's no real shortcut around just hard hard work as well and putting the hours in and uh and being super patient because it there's so, it takes a long time. There's so much rejection. Mm-hmm. You won't be as good as you want to be at first and then eventually you will be. I guess as well being um happy with not being as good as you want to be. That's the hardest yeah. thing that I've found. Totally. Especially when I was younger. I really, really struggled and was like, ah, I can't do this thing. I am completely terrible. And then it's really hard to like continue after that point. This is what my, my, actually the director of Feel Good was saying to me that there's, when you start, there's such a huge gap between your taste and what, what you aspire to and your ability. So you start making a short film and you're like, I know what I like. I want this to be like Quentin Tarantino or something. And then you see the final product and you're like, this is shit. And then you, it's, that's the point where you have to not give up because the more you do, the, the smaller that gap will be between your taste and your ability. Mm-hmm. For sure. Bye. Thank you to May. If you want to check her out, go head over to maymartin.net and you can also find her TV show Feel Good on Netflix. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us share these stories with more people. We love your feedback, so feel free to drop us an email at goodjobatbethroars.com. And if you'd like early access to the episode and just to support the podcast, head over to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash bethroars. Once again, massive thanks to May, to James and Kezra at One Fine Play for the initial edits, to my co-producer Tom, who works super hard on these episodes, and to you guys for listening. See you in the next one. Bye. Good job. Bye.